everybody. This is Stephanie Ruper. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Naked Humanity podcast, where we take the deepest dive possible into what it means to be human in the modern world. Today is episode number 44, and I have on Kathy Reisenwitz, an expert in the intersection between libertarianism and feminism. So Kathy is an extraordinary woman. Uh, with some really extraordinary views. It's a huge honor to have her on today. I actually met Kathy through my brother, who has worked in and tangential to uh, the libertarian movement for quite some time. And the reason that I wanted to have Kathy on the podcast today was because I am so tired. I am so tired of people radically oversimplifying of political parties. I mean, it has been demonstrated. There is a psychological effect. Like there is a bias that we all have intrinsic to ourselves. It's a fact. It's a psychological fact. We have a bias where we see more complexity and nuance in our own views and tend to oversimplify the views of people in other groups. And so Democrats have a much more nuanced view of the left and a much simplified view of the right and vice versa. And pretty much everybody uh, has an overly simplistic view of libertarianism, what people think it can do, what the people, uh, what people perceive of who libertarians are. And so I really want to like bust down that oversimplification. I think we tend to have a presumption in our society that if you want something to happen, the government is the way to make it happen. And that's not necessarily the case, right? Like if you want a social justice aim to happen, usually you think, okay, it's not currently happening or say racism isn't getting better, right? So we need the government to do more things, right? And that is often the presumption on the left. We need the government to do more things. Uh, But there is an alternative perspective, which I think is very much worth listening to, which is, wait, here are the ways in which we need the government to do fewer things, right? And there's definitely, I think, a lot of nuance in terms of how the government doing more and the government doing less can be interwoven, you know. Um, And so perspectives like Kathy's, I think, are enormously valuable. Um, Kathy identifies as a feminist and identifies as a libertarian, as we discuss in the podcast. Um, She has a wonderful blog that she publishes almost daily called... uh, well, the blog is called Sex in the State. It's at her website, kathyreisenwitz.com. Um, and basically talks about how solutions outside of the government can be best like enacted for things like racism and feminism. And this isn't to say that there isn't nuance also that the government can't also participate in these things, right? Libertarianisms aren't entirely against a government. They just ask the question, what if we look at the government doing less? Now, of course, there are like some real assholes in libertarianism, right? Libertarians tend to be labeled as um, selfish people who don't care about the marginalized and who just want to keep money for themselves. Yeah, they definitely exist in the movement, but that doesn't mean that this perspective about government isn't valuable and isn't worth integrating into our regular discourse in terms of things about Black Lives Matter and the immigration crisis and the gender wage gap and all of these different things um, that Kathy actually, as a libertarian, uh, takes very seriously from a feminist. And I, I would say she didn't 
use this word, but intersectionally in a sense that she cares about race and gender. Um, so it's all very important and fascinating, uh, really, to hear somebody talk so learnedly about uh, the San Francisco housing crisis and all these different problems that we have in America from a perspective that is almost never aired, right? It's not on the right. It's not on the left. Um, it, she, I think Kathy stands back and asks really smart questions about, you know, how to address things in ways that simply aren't by focusing on being within a certain paradigm. I am within the right. I am within the left. Um, so I learned a lot talking to Kathy throughout this podcast. I think, um, most anybody might. So I'm very excited to have her on. Um, I will link to her things in the show notes. Uh, she's at Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y, Risenwitz, R-E-I-S-E-N-W-I-T-Z.com. Um, and you can read more about her, her projects in San Francisco, um, her projects in punditry, as it will, in sort of being this voice. Um, I think it's great um, drawing attention to problems in new ways. So um, do check it out. You know how to get at me at Stephanie Ruber on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have any questions, if you want to submit a question to the podcast, you can do that at um, my website at stephanieruper.com or from the link in my bio on Instagram. So um, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for joining in in these uh, conversations that are full of nuance and complexity when we're trying to figure out how to best be human in the modern world. So thank you again. And here is the brilliant and amazing Kathy Resenwitz. Well, hi, welcome, Kathy. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah, um, thank you. I was just saying in my introduction, um, how excited I am to be able to, um, have this kind of conversation. I'm so excited. Most of my podcasts end up being about religion and I try really hard not to make them, uh, about religion, but it just always ends up that way. And, but I think it's so important to be having nuanced conversations about politics. Um, and especially because our political landscape is, um, interesting currently to say the least. So, um, thank you a lot. Of course. Yeah. So I am curious. I often like to start out by like asking uh, about what you do, right? I've given them like a little bit of spiel, um, but what are you currently working on? Last, I remember you were working on like affordable housing or housing policy in San Francisco. Is that still a thing? Yeah. So my passion project right now is a series of posts on my blog, Sex in the State, um, slash blog. Uh, called What the Fuck is Wrong with San Francisco? <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> because there are so many people here who don't have time or inclination to follow all the in intricacies of San Francisco politics, um, but know something's wrong and they need an on-ramp mm -hmm. to get involved to help solve these issues. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to write. That's awesome. So... I actually thought you did that for your job job, but that's not your job job. That's sort of... No, but if anyone wants to pay me to do it, I will accept your money. <laughs> that's great. So um, we may as well dig into that. What is wrong with San Francisco? Well, uh, I would suffice to say, you know, it comes in several categories. Obviously, the homelessness problem, I'm kind of going over what's caused that. Um, the severe mental illness and drug addiction is exacerbated by the homelessness crisis. Um, but what has caused the homelessness crisis and then the knock-on effects 
severe, severe income inequality, for example, is a refusal to build enough housing for the people who want to live here. Mm -hmm. Um, That's obviously there are other problems, but if there's like one foundational, you know, cannot avoid fixing problem, it is the lack of homes. So more than 70% of San Francisco is zoned for single family homes only. So you can only build any kind of multifamily housing, which is, you know, affordable housing in a, in a, in less than 30% of the city. Um, and that 30% of the city just so happens, this is not a coincidence at all to be browner and poorer than, uh, the single family zone parts of the city. So you have this horrible situation where, uh, anti-gentrification activists are fighting developers to try to keep them out of their neighborhoods um, because they don't want to be displaced. And the rich white people get to just sit back in the sidelines and let them duke it out while their property values rise. So that's the issue really at the, at the heart of it. And so um, in later uh, editions, I'm going to be going into how and why rich white people who own homes in San Francisco have been able to um, keep out new development because it's not just the zoning. It's also the permitting process um, and fees and all kinds of bureaucracy, just a mix of NIMBY, NIMBYism and incompetence on the part of our city government. Yeah, I actually, so I tried living in San Francisco for a few months. I think it was pretty close to like right before you moved there. And I definitely, like people talk about the housing crisis all the time, but usually, and of course in circles of wealthier white people, which is a lot of San Francisco now, um, the conversation is just like, well, the government needs to do more. Right. Um, but there's very little, like talk about what exactly they think needs to happen. And maybe I'm just curious if your opinion is that the government needs to do less. Um, the government needs to do less. Yes. The government needs to do different. Um, the government needs to be less beholden to, um, rich white and Asian homeowners in San Francisco, like bottom line, it needs to be representatives. San Francisco is 70% runners, but our policies have been utterly captured by uh, a wealthy, well-connected minority of people who have a lot of time on their hands. And that is not right. So it's, uh, it's interesting. And yeah, I mean, I don't blame people who don't, you know, understand exactly why the crisis is how it is. It's complicated. I've been here for two years and I'm just now feeling like I'm able to write this series. Um, and it, I don't, I wish everyone could just not be involved and not have to care. You know, the fewer people involved in politics, I feel like the better because it's a, it's a zero sum game. And I want as few people operating in a zero sum game as is humanly possible. I want everybody making you know, innovations in San Francisco that are going to change the world and make my life easier. I don't want them fighting over who gets to build a multi-story apartment building on a vacant lot. (laughs) That is not what I want people doing. And so that's the issue is that we've set up a system in which uh, people get to decide what other people can do with their property and it's not working. 
Yeah. Okay. So um, that ties into what my initial leading question was going to be, which is, do you identify as a libertarian and why or why not? (laughs) So it depends on the month. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I've rage quit libertarianism many times, Um, but at the end of the day, it is the word that people, you know, broadly understand that best fits my belief system. So I'm a libertarian. Um, Sex positive, feminist, libertarian. Great. Yeah. Uh, And so you said it's the closest thing that approximates your belief system. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on what that is? Well, ultimately, I think uh, one thing that Will Wilkinson, I think, tweeted once that just really stuck with me is that a lot of times people have an argument about means when they disagree about ends. Um. And that's not very productive. And so I think we need to start at values, right? And so what I ultimately value is I want people to, and this is what I love about your podcast. I want people to find meaning in their lives. Mm. I, I think that's, that's ultimately what, what we all um, are happiest, most fulfilled, our most interesting lives are found when we are, are engaged in meaningful activities. So how do we facilitate that? Well, we get everybody's basic needs met for survival. Then we have more time and energy, I think, to pursue what we find meaningful. Mm -hmm. So how do we get people's basic needs met? I think innovation uh, has lifted billions of people out of poverty. It's not done yet, but, um, but it's really important. So what do you need for innovation? property rights, freedom. So that's, that's kind of how that, that's what I value. I think libertarianism, um, it kind of sacrifices a little bit of how do we make sure things are fairly distributed for how do we make sure that things are distributed in such a way that we're going to get maximum prosperity overall. Mm. Um, and I'm willing to make that trade off because I think if we can protect people's property rights, facilitate innovation, then we can one day get to a place where we have so much prosperity that redistributing to make sure everybody's basic needs are taken care of will be trivial. I believe that. It may be wrong, but that's what I believe. Yeah, I it, it seems to make sense. It does sound a little bit like trickle-down economics, but I don't think that's what you mean, right? Um, it's trickle-down economics eventually. Mm. So um, it, it's not true that tri- trickle-down economics has not worked the way it was presented. That's, that's just true. But there's no reason to believe that, again, like when we reach a certain level of prosperity, then redistribution will be trivial, at least to a certain extent. Mm. And I've also changed. Um, like I used to be against redistribution across the board, but... I now also call myself a neoliberal because I do believe that a certain amount of redistribution is not just like fair and right, but actually more efficient. Like, Mm. you know, people are better workers when they're not like starving. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I've definitely gone through, you know, phases. And I I think that that's very important. Um, We, I think a lot of people tend to get a little bit stuck politically because uh, maybe they get married to these like 
means that you're talking about. Whereas if you're focusing on ends, right, if you're focusing on your goals, then you're sort of a little bit more open to changing the best way you think it is to to get to those ends. Um, and I find myself doing that all the time because I'm wildly ignorant in these you know, our politics are really complicated. So it makes sense to me that you would have to, you know, revise your stance on how to best get there. Well, and I still find myself falling into doctrinaire libertarianism, like all regulations bad, redistribution's bad, government's bad. You know, that's always, I don't know if it's always going to be, but it's, it's been my knee jerk for a long time. So I have to step back and, and say like, okay, ultimate goal meaning ultimate goal, shared prosperity, you know, does this redistribution, does this regulation mm-hmm. get us further or closer? Yeah. So what was it that sort of prompted you to, or has been prompting you to incorporate redistribution, and I'm assuming you mean of wealth, <laughs> um, into your more libertarian free market model? Um, I think, you know, I've definitely gotten just squishier over time. <laughs> The big change for me happened when I moved to D.C. to, you know, be a full-time libertarian. And, you know, I wanted to be a pundit. And really what I wanted to do was, you know, I I believe libertarianism had some really valuable ideas for the national discourse. Still do. Um, And so I wanted to popularize, you know, the good ideas libertarianism had for non-libertarians. And I thought that a, a, a much more fertile ground was on the left. I felt like we'd pretty well penetrated the right. Um, the right was, you know, uh, not hostile to our ideas and familiar with them fairly, um, whereas I didn't feel like that was true on the left. And so I started thinking about, okay, what are the messages that will resonate with the left that are still absolutely in keeping with libertarianism. And so I started talking about anti-racism and, um, you know, feminism and how they're compatible with libertarianism, how libertarianism can actually like further those goals. Um, and so I wanted to understand the left better, obviously to, to, you know, speak to them. And so I started, you know, reading black women on Twitter (laughs) was a huge thing for me and encountering, you know, better arguments for redistribution straight up. And so, um, I think that's kind of how, how it's happened for me. Um, and I, I think I probably know people who would say that, identifying as a libertarian and believing that wealth should be distributed are two mutually exclusive things. Ergo, you shouldn't identify, you know, you would have to pick one or the other. Um, but you don't seem to take that somewhat simplified stance. Um, so is libertarianism then for you like a general preference for, uh, deregulating and, you know, protecting property ownership and that sort of thing. Um, and so you're still able to fold in some more like traditional left values or ideas or methods. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, <laughs> I've been kicked out of libertarianism like many, many times <laughs> for my, for my views. And it's, it's interesting, right? I think this, this marriage with the right has, is the worst thing that's ever happened to libertarianism Yeah, because you look at libertarianism and 
the things that are compatible with it and aren't, there's no principled, consistent basis for them. So for example, you have a lot of self-identified libertarians who are um, for immigration restrictions, for example. But, um, you know, me being a feminist was not acceptable. Or like, you know, for some reason, welfare for people who are low income is redistribution, totally incompatible. But you talk about, you know, tax breaks for corporations, and that's fine. So there's, there's no like, consistency in it. So yeah, I think libertarianism at its core is a, it's a bent toward freedom and a skepticism toward unearned power. Mm. And, and that's, that's my core, my core leaning. Um, also, I want to say about redistribution. Here's, here's the real thing is that when I started reading leftists and that includes, and especially means C4SS Center for a Stateless Society, love those people, check them out. I started reading about how fucked up the current distribution of capital is. Mm -hmm. And this is my problem with kind of like simple or knee jerk or what do they call it? Uh, There's a word for it. Whatever libertarianism for with libertarianism that does not take social justice into account is that you're basically saying we're going to freeze the current distribution of capital as it is and then protect it with violence. Mm. But if you look at how the current distribution of capital results from sexism, racism, transphobia, bigotry, how, you know, white people literally stole black people's property systematically and and are still, you know, through the government, through government means stealing black people's property. And that's the current distribution of capital results from rape, murder, theft, you know, on very stupid bases. Um, then it's like, is that really morally acceptable? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. It, it becomes a lot less sacred, the current distribution of capital when you realize, you know, what its justifications are. Mm. Um, but then, right. So I agree with you. Right. But then what is, is the solution then to like, what is the solution then if we have a system and you want it to sort of maintain the elements of it that are is quote unquote free or whatever, and idealistically become increasingly more, you know, free, um, then, then what do you, what do you do? You know, you've mentioned redistribution generally, but like, what is the kind of policy related to uh, race or to gender that you would want to see implemented that, you think would actually maybe help get us from this like X to Y or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm still a libertarian is that I'm still pretty hands off because I think it's most efficient to kind of leave it as it is. Mm. Um, mostly I do think that we should, that the government should provide a basic social safety net. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love it to be done privately, but it's just not feasible right now. It's, you know, if, if we don't have a functional private social safety net, some communities do, most don't, um, then we need a public one. Yeah, like if you look at the payroll tax, for example, like it's, it's incredibly regressive, right? 
it's what 30%, 25% of the first dollar you earn. And then it like has an actual cap where it stops taking money when you earn a certain amount, like mm. completely insane. So, you know, I don't think that's right. I think we need to seriously change the way that we, we tax and regulate to make it both fairer and more efficient. Um, because I don't, I don't think that that's efficient to, to take from the poor and give to the rich. I don't think that leads to more prosperity. I don't think that leads to a, a better life for anybody. So, you know, those are kind of my, my leanings. Yeah. And, and you like, you see that is currently happening probably in large part because you've been reading, uh, people who are discussing these issues and unearthing them. Um, but generally speaking, people who identify as libertarians do, or at least seem like they do, um, just want to sort of, uh, keep tax structures the same or have a flat tax rates, everybody gets taxed, like say exactly the same or like all these sorts of things. Um, and so to say that you want taxes to change, or even that you think taxes are like, okay, that's not like a quote unquote to traditionally libertarian idea, or it's not a very common one. Is it? I'd say that libertarians, I mean, that would be kind of the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist as a, a libertarian would usually say, you know, we need some amount of government, which is going to require some amount of taxation. As an anarchist would say, you know, I don't want any. And in my heart of hearts, like I am an anarchist, like that's the society I really want to live in is where every interaction is voluntary. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I just want, you know, if we're going to have taxes and it looks like we are, let's make sure they're fair and efficient. Yeah. Um, so from being like inside of the libertarian movement or whatever you want to call it, um, what is your like assessment of the range of sort of beliefs that people hold, you know, within, within the party? Because I think there tends to be like the very popular perception of libertarians um, in my circles is uh, it's usually white dudes and rich people and they just don't want you to take their money. Um, It's a little bit more diverse than that, though, is it not? Well, and I want to differentiate the libertarian party from the libertarian movement or, you know, may you. Um, They're very different. And I have very little experience with the libertarian party, so I can't really speak to that very accurately. I have much more experience in the libertarian movement and I would kind of, um, you know, break that up into people who are actively working within the Republican party establishment to push it to towards freedom. (laughs) Um, and people who are kind of working uh, outside of that and, yeah. So that, that's, that's kind of how I would break it down. And then within that, you know, you've got kind of left libertarians, right libertarians, um, people who are, you know, more anarchists, but still call themselves libertarian. Um, yeah, there's, that, I, I would say those are, those are the kind of relevant breakdowns. Mm. Um, are there more men who identify as libertarians? Oh, way more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why do you think so? 
Um, I think that the, the, the reason that there are more men and more white people in libertarianism, I think has to do with the fact that um, libertarianism has focused on preserving the current order of things and the current distribution of power and capital and that people who have been traditionally and continue to be locked out of power and capital are less gung-ho about the idea of crystallizing those uh, realities. And, um, you know, if, if your whole thing is low taxes, you know, no or low redistribution, and you feel like, um, you know, you, you would benefit from or your friends would benefit from redistribution, then you're going to be not super enthused about that ideology. Mm. And I think that's a core problem. Um, but then I think in addition, because libertarianism has had this relationship with the right, um, with the, uh, with the Republican party, there's been a lot of needless hostility toward, um, toward feminism, toward black lives matter. And, you know, a lot of it is just not taking a stand because they don't want to alienate their, you know, their allies on the right. Mm. And then that attracts more people. You know, I said on, on Facebook recently, you know, the rise of Donald Trump and alt-right and the alt-right has really shown who was a libertarian despite the fact that movement libertarianism wouldn't take a stand against racism, sexism, and other kinds of bigotry. Mm. And who is a liber- who was identified as libertarian because libertarianism would not take a stand against those things. And so it's a self-perpetuating problem where if you tolerate bigotry, and we have we have a lot of people who are very influential speakers in libertarianism who are absolutely. Um, sexist and racist a lot of them have left the movement and you know glommed onto the alt-right mm. um, and thank god for that a lot of them still call themselves libertarian libertarians but you have to wonder <laughs> you know if there was this big exodus of libertarians into authoritarianism were they ever about freedom or were they just about a place where they could be bigoted without anybody saying anything about it right um and it's it's something that I called out early because I was dealing with it. When I was talking about libertarianism, feminism, what, libertarian feminism, when I was talking about anti-racism and how that's compatible with libertarianism, people who disagreed with that would harass me, DM me, like write blog posts about denouncing me, saying I'm not a real libertarian, I'm an entryist, I'm a social justice warrior, I'm a you know, cultural Marxist, like all these things I'd never heard of. Like I thought that was crazy, but I realized like there's a very large percentage of libertarianism that is um, not just not concerned with racism, but like, like it. Um, And people who weren't talking about these issues in libertarianism were like, oh, you're exaggerating, you're, you know, whatever, whatever. But then I've been proven right in this, in this mass exodus of people 
leaving for the alt-right and this, you know, as soon as it became popular, these libertarians coming out as authoritarians, Mm -hmm. um, which sucks, you know, I didn't want that to be true, but, um, it does offer, I think libertarianism now with Trump in office is at an inflection point where we can say, you know, are we more committed to the right or are we more committed to anti-authoritarianism? Right. You know, we need to choose at this, at this inflection point and our institutions need to choose and our leaders need to choose. And I hope they'll choose correctly. Yeah. It's, I also hope I, it's just, it's so fascinating because like we're all, we're pretty sure that being racist is bad, right? We're pretty sure that being sexist is bad and probably, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, the knee jerk reaction against that among libertarianism is that if you are somebody who identifies or cares about the marginalized in any way, um, then you're going to want to use the government to do something about it. And therefore you are our enemy, right? Because we don't want to use the government to do things. We think the government like has too much power already. Um, but there's like, there's an alternative perspective, which is, and it's just not something that has ever really been talked about much. And I think probably because of this history you're talking about between the right and libertarianism is that there is a way in which libertarianism can service the marginalized as well. Um, but it's just like, it literally almost never gets talked about except for places like your blog. Yes. That's definitely something that I ran across is that if there's no obvious solution outside of government, then it's, we're going to pretend it's not a problem. Like the way the gender wage gap is a perfect example of this, where the doctrinaire libertarian line on the gender wage gap is that it's a myth. Um, and they use the same line of thinking to deny racism, other kinds of sexism, anything where the knee-jerk reaction would be government intervention, they've just decided it's not a problem. It's not true. Like, these are problems. Right. Um, yes, the gender wage gap virtually disappears if you're looking at white women, if you're looking at hours uh, worked per week, um, years worked, uh, you know, major um, in school, but you have to step back and say, okay, but why are women making these choices? You know, how does the culture, uh, reward women for making choices that will result in them earning less money? And, you know, does that matter for, and it's so crazy. Cause it's like, I thought we all wanted prosperity. Well, we get more prosperity when women are making choices that maximize their, um, you know, efficiency in the marketplace. And they're not. So why aren't we concerned with why that's not happening? Oh, because we're actually just right-wing people that call themselves libertarians. Cool. But um, to me, like libertarianism should be not just if there's, if we don't like the government solution, it's not a problem. It should be, this is a problem. The, you know, the payroll tax is a problem. Sexism is also a problem. And so what are some non-state, non-coercive solutions to this problem? If libertarianism doesn't have solutions, it only shits on government solutions. Like that's not a thing I'm excited about. Like mm. that, that's not interesting to me. Just saying no government um, and leaving people to their own devices to solve the problems that are holding them back, that doesn't lead to prosperity. Um, uh, go on. Yeah, and so I think libertarianism 
should be about, and, and my libertarian libertarianism is about finding cooperative non-state solutions to the problems that keep people from fully achieving the meaning in their lives. And so with, you know, feminism or anti-racism, whatever, like, I think those should be primarily cultural, um, probably solutions, but there's all kinds of also like small government solutions. So like, you know, you can look at, um, civil asset forfeiture, right? Like that disproportionately impacts or any, you know, any part of criminal justice reform by reforming the criminal justice system, you are helping to chip away at systemic racism because it is so systemically racist, right? That's good. That's important. We should be doing it. We should be focusing on that. Um, but then also like culturally we should be saying, Hey, like, let's not be so racist. Let's not be so sexist. Like, Let's identify where racism and sexism are happening in the culture and, you know, offer a new narrative, offer a new way of looking at things. Yeah, I definitely, you know, because the left is more traditionally associated with attempting to help, you know, people who are sent to prisons more often and and all that sort of stuff, people of color and women, like we tend to think that like necessarily then the, you know, the government will, will be able to provide a solution, you know, and we fail to, I think, recognize that no matter what system of government we're going to have, people will still be like intrinsically a little bit racist. Like, you know what I mean? Changing your government system doesn't eliminate your racism. It just changes where the locus of power is. Um, And I, I think that's really important to understand because so many people I know um, don't understand that a lot of libertarianism is fear of what can happen when the government has too much power, you know? Um, but that's, that's extremely legitimate, you know, just because you move something into state hands, just because you make something private doesn't, or sorry, public doesn't mean that it's like problems go away. Yeah. I mean, look at the way that subsidizing mortgages worked out, like, black and brown people ended up still getting really problematic loans that they ended up not being able to repay. It ended up eroding a lot of black and brown families. wealth um, when the foreclosure crisis hit because they had these loans with terrible terms. Mm. Um, yeah. If you, if you don't fix the underlying racism, then it's, you know, the policies are going to be carried out in a racist way in a lot of times. And so, um, this exclusive maniacal focus on that oppression, which we call government, I think is kind of the, the weakest part of libertarianism. Mm. And that's why I like to use the word unearned power because racism is, is unearned power. White supremacy is unearned power. Sexism is unearned power. Government is often unearned power. Tax breaks for the wealthy are unearned power. Like, that's the thing we should be pissed off about. Not whether that unearned power calls itself government. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, when you talk about cooperative non-state solutions to problems, um, it, cooperative non-state solutions, you did provide like an example, right? I just, I think we so often think that if there is a problem, the only way to solve it is with government, but you would obviously disagree. Yeah, I, I would disagree. 
Oh, and it's complicated, right? These are not like obvious solutions. If they were, you know, this would be a lot easier, but Mm -hmm. it's, and this is what libertarianism like should, this is the hole it should fill is that you have the left proposing government solutions. You have the right saying these aren't problems. Libertarianism could be that, that middle ground. And it is to an extent, there are people who are working on this and doing great work. Um, but there aren't enough of them, <laughs> but you know, something that I, I write about, and I'm not sure I like the solution, but it's interesting is one problem is men in America who are, um, I want to say like t- between 21 and 30, something like 30% of them. I don't, maybe it's higher. I, I haven't looked at this in a while. A large, large percentage of these men are not in school or work. Mm. Like they're just sitting idle and women are on track to out earn. The average woman is on track to out earn the average man. Um, if, if trends continue. So this is going to obviate the traditional male breadwinner family structure. If these trends continue, Mm-hmm. Whether the, you know, the male breadwinner model continues or not is less important to me than making sure these men have something to do. One solution to this problem is to have a female breadwinner marriage model um, where men who were idle start taking care of the household, taking care of children, basically being the wife. Um, that's, a, that's a non-state cooperative solution to a problem society faces and is going to face. That's an example. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I want to see libertarians talking about. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I yes, I think that's such an important thing. You mentioned earlier that you wanted to like talk about how libertarianism could contribute to other discussions that we were having, right? You wanted to sort of like share this perspective and just the idea that we can be having these conversations about how to solve problems without government, I think um, is extremely valuable in and of itself, um, regardless of what the solutions are, even the fact that, you know, we're willing to consider them, I think is, could be really big. Um, can I ask, so your blog, Sex in the State, like, um, what is your, what is your position? I mean, you've mentioned obviously that you're, you're pro feminism. How do you sort of see, um, feminism and, uh, maybe even would you include feminism as something related to the current discourse on identity politics and how does that fit within your libertarianism? <laughs> yeah. Identity politics is super interesting. I Isn't think it? All- <laughs> All politics is identity politics. It just was that for a while we saw whiteness and maleness as default Mm. and default is not an identity. Um, But we're seeing that less and less. And I think it's, you're seeing white men. um, Again, there's no principled opposition to identity politics. It just didn't serve them. And so now they feel under siege Mm -hmm. just because they're, Privilege is receding. They have no problem picking up identity politics. Anyway, what was the first part of the question? Uh, identity politics, feminism, and libertarianism. Oh, feminism. Yes. 
Well, I guess there would be two things. I think that sex work decriminalization should be a much bigger conversation within libertarianism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it hits all the buttons of overcriminalization, um, property rights, uh, free exchange, you know, w- women do or don't own our bodies. If we can't sell access to our bodies, then we don't own our bodies. Libertarianism at its core, <laughs> you know, about self-ownership and property rights. Yeah. So there's that. But I think, you know, if we want people to be free to participate in the labor market, like, I, I want that. I want it for a lot of reasons. I think because I want people to self-actualize and because I want, you know, the prosperity that results from women's full participation in the labor market. And sexism is a force that holds women back from being able to fully utilize their talents. And so, you know, if we want a more prosperous society, if we want people to self-actualize, if we want people to be free, we need to look at everything that holds them back. And sexism is one of the things that holds women back. Um, and so, you know, again, like a, a cooperative non-state solution is just like, becoming aware of the ways that sexism inhibits women's full participation in the labor force. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, you know, <laughs> women who um, exhibit, you know, behavior that's similar to male behavior in a man, people will write it as assertive and leadership and, um, positive things. And if a woman exhibits the exact same behaviors, seen as overbearing, bossy, aggressive, hard to get along with. Right. And so if we're aware of these biases, then I think we can take steps to correct them and say, Oh, like if I'm having a negative reaction to this woman in a position of power, you know, is that my social conditioning that women are not supposed to be in that role? And, um, you know, how can I see the situation differently or how can we set up, you know, again, cooperative um, structures uh, to help mitigate those kind of cultural hangovers um, from a, from a time when, when, when we're not allowed to, to be leaders. So I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I see it is again, like let's um, unlock, unleash the, prosperity creating potential of half the population yeah um I think that's really well obviously I think that's really great um I want to ask you more about the current political climate but we're running out of time so I'm curious if you what do you think I'll let this be the last question what do you think is the most uh pressing thing for us to be like addressing as a entire nation right now the child rape cages, the concentration camps. Like I can't even believe it. And I cannot believe how tepid the libertarian response has been. I can't believe how tepid everyone's response has been. I mean, my own, you know, I would have thought I would have taken up arms by now. You know, I would have thought, you know, 
projected the future, Kathy, like they're, they're, they're raping children in cages. They're keeping them in unsanitary conditions. They're letting them die of preventable diseases. Children. I would have been like armed revolution. Like, obviously, like we're going to storm it. And here we are. We're just like, eh, well, this sucks. Myself included. And especially like, I just, I, I, it's really shaken me, like every assumption I have about how I would respond to anything. This is called into question. Um, yeah, I think that's, this is disgusting. It's a stain. It's, uh, it's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's hard because I, we see what we're surrounded by. Right. And I see everywhere I look, I see outrage, but I'm also in the United Kingdom. And so like, it's, um, it's different, you know, and I, I imagine that I would see a lot more variety where I at home. And I, I know so many people who are like really distressed because so many others in their communities, like don't care, won't mobilize. I do know some people who are, you know, at the border, like protesting. I think so much of us are like, well, what do we do? Right. Um, but I, yeah, I, I actually am horrified and I'm in another country. Should I be going home and doing something about it? Yes. Although there's tragedies everywhere in the world. And should I be going to, you know, it's a very, it's hard. I think we're just paralyzed by the, you know, the enormity of what we should be doing there. Like there are too many things we should be doing. So we do nothing, um, which is horrible. Anyway, I'm rambling. Um, I agree with you. I think that's pressing. And um, part of the reason I asked was because I just, I don't know, like libertarians can care about people. I think it's important. I think people know that. No, I mean, like, I'm serious, you know? Um, yeah. So um, thank you a lot. Uh, now, A, do you have anything left that you would like to um, say? You can say anything you want. And then B, um, how and where can people find you to read more of your stuff? Um, I just want to say thank you for having on, um, a nuanced conversation about libertarianism. I think it's really, um, caricaturized, especially among the left and, you know, bastardized by the right. So thank you. Um, people can find me at kathyreisenwitz.com. That's C-A-T-H-Y-R-E-I-S-E-N-W-I-T-Z, um, com. I am on Twitter at, at Kathy Reisenwitz. And um, you can subscribe to my newsletter on my blog. It comes out most every weekday. And uh, check out my series on San Francisco. I'm really interested in your feedback, especially from outsiders. Do you learn anything? Does it leave any outstanding questions? What do you want me to dive more into? What do you want less of? Things like that. That's really awesome. You publish your blog every day. Most weekdays. <laughs> wow. I, I'm seriously impressed. Okay. That's wonderful. I will provide links to all of those things in the show notes. Um, thank you, uh, Kathy. And thank you, everybody, um, for listening. Please direct questions to her. Direct questions about other things, not libertarianism to me. Um, I'm definitely not an expert, but I'm happy to know a few. So um, thank you all for tuning in. And uh, I will see you all next week. 